And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, you're trying to get started. You don't really know what to do. You don't know where to find investors. You don't really know how to build a business. You haven't done anything like that before. And life is feeling a little bit intimidating. But wait, there's a perfect, perfect, perfect type of organization that probably exists in your hometown. And that's a startup incubator. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today during today's episode of Startup Hustle. Now, before we get too far into who will be joining me for this conversation, I want to let you know that the Economic Development Corporation of KCMO is proud to support the dreamers and doers in our great city through a variety of programs, including Launch KC and KC Up. To learn more, go to edckc.com. I'm sure we will talk plenty about that and the other great things going on in my hometown and probably in your hometown too. Joining me today, I have a guest that, well, I think this is the third time that Kevin McGinnis, the CEO of Keystone Community Corporation and the president of Keystone Labs has been with us. Kevin, what's up? Hey, man. How are you doing? It's good to be back, Matt. I appreciate it. Is this the second or the third time? This is the second time. This is my, my second. Routine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not a three-peat. I thought yet, we might have thought we might have done a third in there. I wasn't sure, you know, and we're coming up on our 600th episode. So I got to be honest, I'm well past taking my shoes off to count any (laughs) episode numbers. Now, Kevin, you have a long history with startup incubators and accelerators and stuff like that. You want to take a few minutes and give us your backstory? Sure. Thanks, Matt. So, um, you know, I'm 20 plus years at Sprint. And as part of that role throughout my career, there was really kind of on the front edge of the business. The last role I, I had, the official role was, you know, vice president of product, and we were responsible for sourcing innovation. We spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley working with the VCs, understanding what the startup ecosystem, who was ready for mobile, who was ready for, you know, to get in front of mobile customers, work on a mobile network, those types of things. And, and through that experience, we decided it was probably easier for us to attract startups to the area. It was right about the time that Google Fiber had been announced in Kansas City, 2011 timeframe. So we, we kind of planted the flag and decided we were going to launch a startup accelerator here in Kansas City. So uh, some of the folks on my team and myself, we started the Sprint Accelerator uh, and launched that in 2014, brought Techstars to town. So I've had the opportunity to work with Techstars and then I've been a mentor in several other accelerators. So I've been kind of pushing the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem and pushing the, the role of accelerators and, and startup programming uh, you know, for about a decade now. Now, I mentioned, you know, that you're the CEO of Keystone Community Corporation and president of Keystone Labs. For those of you listening, scroll down to the show notes and click the link for keystonedistrict.org. You're not only experienced with incubators and accelerators, you're literally building a section of our hometown 
to help work with this before we get too far into it. Right. I, I'd like you to explain what an innovation district is, because, look, for those of you listening, we're in Kansas City and you probably know that already, but 90 percent of our listeners aren't. And whether you're in Kansas City, New York City, Silicon Valley or Thailand, you will probably find that a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today exists in your hometown or in some part of the region that you're in. And you're there. it's never been a greater time for startup founders and entrepreneurs to latch on to the programs that private industry and cities like today's sponsors, the EDC KC. That's a division of our hometown that is for economic development. And they run Launch KC, go to launchkc.org and literally have their own accelerator. But Kevin, what do you do in an innovation district and why are those popping up all over the all over the country? Yeah, so an innovation district. So the Keystone Community Corporation, which is a nonprofit that I lead today, is responsible for bringing together you know, our regional universities, philanthropic leaders, government, corporations, and entrepreneurs into really a purpose-built neighborhood. Honestly, Matt, it's, you know, uh, there's a lot of research around the power of placemaking, the power of proximity when it comes to innovation. You, know, you hear a reference in startup communities all the time where people talk about serendipitous collisions and you know, uh, impromptu conversations about problems people are facing, and that's really those intersections are where innovation happens. So the research shows that if you can bring people together in kind of a full-time ecosystem, a full-time community, you just increase the number of those intersections and the number of those collisions, and you see exponential job growth. You see, um, you know, exponential creation of new ventures. You can go from several dozen startups to hundreds of startups in these communities that are, you know, and you, you start to build that density that attracts VC, that attracts talent, and so that's that's kind of the idea is how do you just create a, a purpose built neighborhood focused on research, science, technology, entrepreneurship uh, and inclusive growth for the region. And that's part of what startup incubators and that's what we're going to be more specific about today. Try to do now the definition of a startup incubator uh, is a collaborative program whose purpose is to help new startups that are, that are at a very early stage to grow and succeed. Incubators are designed to help entrepreneurs deal with most of the problems associated with launching a startup. Uh, the hard part about startups is they don't come with an owner's manual. So that's part of what an incubator kind of want to help you get through, right? For sure. So there's really two types of startup programs that we deal with. One is the incubator, which you've laid out, which really isn't, uh, it's a little bit more of a loose format. It's not got a, a specific time duration. They're not cohort driven. They're not mentorship driven. What we've been really focused on are, are an accelerator, right? So an accelerators and incubators are different. Accelerators are very specifically focused on having that fixed term, usually 90 days, they're cohort based. So you're in the program during that 90 days with another group of founders, another group of companies that are in a very similar situation. They're mentorship driven, right? The big benefit you get is kind of the, the, the network that are created around these things. And, and ultimately they end in a graduation day or some kind of event that promotes the work that you've been able to do in the 90 days. So these accelerators have been around. You've probably heard of, of some of the larger ones. Y Combinator was founded in 2005. Um, you know, uh, 500 startups, Techstars was founded in 2006. And so they've been around for, you know, 15 years or so, uh, for the most part, and Kansas City's had a few of them. And, and so these are really good opportunities for startups to um, develop their network, um, 
accelerate the opportunity to get strategic advice on their startup or their concept. And then it provides a validation, right, um, to their concept, validation through partnerships, through customer acquisition. And you really try to take, it's, everybody says, well, what's an accelerator? It's like, just exactly that. Take 18 months, 24 months of what would be an organic life cycle for a company and try to consolidate it and accelerate it in a 90-day window. It's pretty intense. I've always defined incubators as, by the way, we're laughing because my children were screaming in the background. So I put myself on mute and usually took it off and then took it off. So yes, Matt, turn on your volume. So I've always <laughs> defined incubators and accelerators. Like I, incubators to me are, are usually the, whoever is hosting the incubee often has a vested interest. Like they make a small investment where an accelerator, and I, and I want to define the word cohort because I think cohorts thrown around by the accelerator and incubator community. And honestly, I didn't know what the hell that word meant until I looked it up. But like you mentioned, like you'll hear, if you're going to try to get into an incubator and accelerator, you're going to hear the word cohort a lot. So the cohort is, it's your class. It's basically it. what it is. And totally. you know, like Kevin said is oftentimes, so at launch KC and we've had episodes about this in the past, those are sponsored. Each cohort is industry specific and they will find a top level sponsor and we'll use our hometown, uh, 125 year old company of black and beach. So black and beach is a massive engineering firm and they will invest a minimum of in that program. I believe it's 50 grand. Um, and, and maybe more into having a small ownership percentage of the company. And then they run, uh, classes and do other things to try to get the business up and running and incubators usually like literally like when you think about it is like like it would be with an egg it's super early those are like really from scratch businesses in a lot of cases am i wrong in any uh, in any of this definition like do you ever call a, an incubator an incubator where the the host doesn't ha have an ownership position. So there's, um, so first let's sort out incubators and accelerators to your point, right? In yeah. Incubators are typically not time bound. You don't know when the egg's going to hatch. So incubators are kind right. of, you come into a co-working space that's right, hosted by a stakeholder, hosted by somebody that's interested in seeing your project incubated. They provide you, you know, legal resources, finance resources, um, they, they provide you some access to a network, but you're, you're really, it's just, just to provide you kind of support as an early stage startup. And there's, it's not really time bound. An accelerator is really a specific, how do we cram, you know, a lot of mentor driven activity into 90 days. And there's probably three types. I, I kind of put categories around the accelerators. There's the early stage VC led accelerators. This is a Y Combinator, Techstars, that's equity-based, right? To your point, 50 grand for 5%, you know, 20 grand for 3%, whatever it might be. Um, but they run you through a specific um, set of programming over 90 days, and then you have a graduation or a demo day where you pitch to investors. There's also these industry-focused accelerators. Um, and those are like, so like Black & Beach, right? They're COVID response. It was more and, well and clean tech they did clean tech clean the clean tech right before that totally and so they might be industry focused around a concept a theme something like that and then you have very specific corporate accelerators where folks are calling out um 
you know, and this is Brush Creek Partners has done an insure tech, right? And this is how do you create partnerships with their company and their partners? And they're very focused on those elements. As far as equity or no equity, it really depends on the program. Some programs uh, are looking to, you know, source these as deal flow and they want an equity stake in the company and they're willing to provide capital to do that. Some they'll just cover expenses, right? And, and as you get into the corporate or corporate sponsored accelerators, Matt, they are less interested in early stage because if they're going to do a partnership, they want a company that's maybe post-revenue, you know, has some market validation behind them already. They're really interested in scaling. So a later stage startup might be less interested in providing an equity swap for that kind of money. And they just want their expenses covered because their interest is more partnering with the company that's hosting the accelerator than it is getting the mentorship and getting access to investors, right? So the, the company I own, FullScale, was a development partner with LaunchKC and we provided, so you look at this accelerator and here comes, here comes some investment, here comes some uh, resources, mentorship, and then these same organizations will work with companies like ours and we gave a $10,000 uh, development credit to all participants. Some used it, some didn't. You know, and, and so with that, they also line up, there were, there were several other things along the way. So I got to know a lot of the people that had come through these accelerators and, and like, and, and definitely validating your point of view with the, uh, with the accelerator part is these were companies that all had revenue and in some cases had some serious traction. And, you know, I'd ask them all at some point, you know, why'd you sign up? They said, well, the opportunity to do business with company XYZ or to get plugged in to, it was business, it was biz dev on some levels. And just to also be able to have access to clients, uh, users, to gain a level of input that was pretty significant uh, along the way that would have been hard to find on your own. Yeah. When so, you're... you know, some of that was that opportunity where the, the incubation is like, hey, Kevin, I got an idea. And the problem is, is I think from incubation to acceleration, that that that's a treacherous road that that egg cracks a lot in the incubator, you know, because that's the hardest part of a startup. And I think that's why the the bigger companies don't typically want to mess with that, because that could take years just to get to the point of where you're at with an accelerator. I think people often think that happens a lot sooner than it does. I think, the, you know, um, the the. The word accelerator, I think, is perfect because these things have this ecosystem has matured over the last 15, 20 years where you have really clear early stage activities, incubators, pre-seed boot camps and workshops for founders or for startups to, you know, like startup weekend kind of activities. Um, you have some of these founder focused programs that help develop entrepreneurial mindsets and the entrepreneur themselves. When you're ready and you're, you've got, you know, there's some things, if you're going to apply for an accelerator, there's some things you should really have kind of checked the box on already. You know, your bit, your business idea should be a big one. You should probably already have an MVP in place. You should have some level of market validation, maybe even be post-revenue. You're really just trying to, again, grow your network as fast as you can, get strategic advice from whoever's running the accelerator, whoever their partners are, their managing director and the corporate partners. And then get the validation so you can turn around and rapidly accelerate your, your next round, your investment. So you, you need to, like to your point, you need to be ready for those things when you go into an accelerator. If you're too, too early, 
I've seen people go into an accelerator and by the time they come out, they are, they're just like, I don't know what just happened. It's completely different than where we started. And it's not, you know, they're, they're a little bit more confused. Whereas if you come in and you've got some solid foundation, accelerators can really put you in an advantageous position on the backside to, to be in a, a rapid growth cycle. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the we mentioned you mentioned being in and around this space for 20 years you and i we, we i don't want to say we're old kevin we have experience you can say um that, and and so different. 20 years ago there weren't there weren't this many options there weren't this many things that are out there there certainly weren't like 5000 vcs and funds looking to plow money into this so the i for me one of the biggest whys is Okay, so here we are. Come, we're we're on the doorstep of 600 episodes of Startup Hustle. We've had a lot of founders. We've had a lot of VCs. We would have a lot of program managers in, and we ask them all, "Do you bet on the jockey or the horse?" And still, to this day, we have a unanimous vote for jockeys. Now, if you're young, if you haven't done it before, if you don't have that jockey pedigree of having, uh run startups or done it successfully or been around it, these kind of things are Boy Scout and Girl Scout badges that are very good for your business. They're very good. They're validating points and facts that, you know, all of the, we mentioned all these VCs and all these funds. Hey, look, let's just talk about human nature for a second. The path to least of least resistance is usually what's taken. So here you look at all these programs and look, this, while it'll feel big and th there's a ton of them out there, there aren't that many. There aren't that many overall. There's a couple in each town. So if you have, a, you know, there, some cities are a little better than at it than others, but overall you have a lot of money that knows these programs that are existing and that got their attention. And here's the reality. And for, if you're a VC, let's put the earmuffs on for a second. There's too much shit to wade through. And on some levels, they might be a little lazy. So they look to the validation and the research and all of the vetting and diligence that goes into picking these programs. So like if you're in Techstars or Launch KC, and by the way, Launch KC has done an amazing job of picking amazing companies and they deserve the attention they're getting. So why wouldn't you want to pay attention? So this can be very good uh, as you kind of climb the ladder and continue to accumulate resources and validation along the way. Like how important has that been in follow-up funding in your experience? Yeah, no, it's extremely important, Matt. I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about jockeys and horses. When you're selecting companies to come into your class or your cohort, you know, you're looking at, you're looking for big ideas. You're looking for scalable concepts. You're looking for the horse to be healthy and ready to run for sure. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you the number one criteria when I've looked at um, selection process for, for these accelerators, it's team. It's the, who's the team, right? And I, I will tell you, if you're going to apply for an accelerator, you should have a co-founder because co-founded companies will get selected over individual founders every single time. And they also look at the team. What are the team chemistry? What's the team dynamic? Have they done something like this before? And are they capable of, if you're going to put them in a 90-day cycle where so much gets thrown at them that at the end, they're going to get that, you know, good housekeeping stamp of approval, invest in me. Cause that's, that's the point of going through these things. They, they serve as deal flow for a lot of these investor types that sit at the back. So when you're selecting an accelerator, you should be looking at who are the investors that, you know, gather around this accelerator program, who, who's the managing director, 
you know, what are the partnerships and funding going to look like on the backside? Because when you come out, you should be ready for those things for sure. So and I want to I want to go backward in the timeline and get back onto incubators. But hey, let's grow KCMO. This is Economic Development Corporation and KCMO's tagline as it represents how they work with businesses large and small. And just starting to locate and grow into our great city, learn more about what the Economic Development Corporation in Kansas City does by going to edckc.com. And, you know, from an incubation standpoint, cities and municipalities want to try to push the incubation of business. Like, why does EDCKC support Startup Hustle? Because we're sitting here five days a week, usually talking about stuff that's going on in their hometown. And that's good for business. And it really is. And... Uh, you know, when it so when it we back up and we go back to incubation, um, a lot of people are just looking for a place to get started. And that's why an incubator makes a lot of sense. They don't have the resources, but probably more important, they could use the guidance. Yeah, without a doubt, that that guidance, that that direction, that, the, you know, that expertise of people who've done it before is super important at that stage. But I mean, still in every way, shape and form, you have to show up ready to do it yourself because those people that are going to, they're going to give you, they're going to give you a couple cheat codes here and there, but you still have to play the game. I think one of the things that when I've talked to people that have gone through incubators that they had a so-so experience, they'll say things like, I thought they were going to do more for me. I hate that response, by the way. I'm like, you got to do it for yourself. You got to do it for yourself in the end. Like you're, you, you signed up for guidance and resources. None of these, I, I think that any of these things, if they're trying to promise you results or follow on funding or anything, that's a red flag. Um, because once again, you got to do it yourself. They don't know. Um, now when it comes to an incubator, how do you look for a good one, Kevin? Like, what are some of the things that, cause this is a little different than an accelerator. Like, what are some of the things that that should stand out or get or get us excited. So, you know, I go back to thinking of the, the three benefits that you would get from being in a program, right? So what's the network that's associated with the incubator or the accelerator? You know, who puts it on, who sponsors it? What's the network they've surrounded them with themselves with? And is that really aligned to, you know, the market that you're going after, the product market fit that you have? Um, so will you benefit from being in that you know, in that uh, environment with that network of people? And can you grow your network by being involved in that? That's number one. You know, I think number two, when you look at the idea of strategic advice, a lot of times these incubators or accelerators, they'll list out who their mentors are. Go through them. Like, go see who are the names on there. Do some research on, you know, who do you want to most talk to and, and, and um, have serve as a strategic advisor during the course of any of the, this programming? Um, and that's, you know, extremely important. And then the last piece, the validation piece, do they have some way to promote you at the end of the program or during the program? Is there a demo day? Is there, you know, like you guys do with startup hustle, you know, and when you promoted the launch KC partnerships with Brush Creek. So that validation, it's either through partnerships and customer validation, the true like market growth that you're looking for. So do they have connections in that space or do they have some way to amplify your involvement and your success in their program and demonstrate the progress you've made. Like that's when you're selecting them, I think those would be the important things. A lot of people get you know hung up in the big brands. The bigger the program you're trying to get into, the more competitive it is, 
without a doubt, right? So sometimes I've seen companies that have gone through multiple accelerators. They'll start with their local accelerator. They'll get some experience and they'll get some brand. Then they'll apply to move to another city and maybe go into a larger program that's got greater brand awareness or great, a bigger network. And then they'll end up on, you know, in 500 startups or Y Combinator or, you know, Techstars, a program somewhere. So it's not uncommon to see startups kind of go through a cycle um, to you know, and pick multiple accelerators or incubators or pre-seed programs to get where they need to go. I would imagine some of that's a result of applying to a whole bunch of them. You know, like, don't just apply to one. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to, and that's the next thing I want to get into is that that approach pattern to an incubator is because I think that people get this part where they're really bad at it. They're just not prepared. And if you've listened to the show long enough, you know that I'm just a huge advocate of doing the little things that make you look like you're in the business of whatever it is that you say you do. Right. Like, don't let your, don't let your landing page for your company be a Facebook page. Right. right. And don't, and don't ask me to invest in your company, your .com, but email you at Yahoo. You know, just some little things like that um, in the preparation process. And really, in the end, no one wants to see your 60-page business plan because it's so wrong. Like, you know, Watson and I have been doing a 52-part series on how to start a tech company. And one of the episodes is just simply titled, Your Plan is Wrong, because it is. Because you don't know and you don't have a crystal ball. So some of the things that people get focused on there in the incubation stage, you're focused on pitching your idea and what you're going to get good at real fast. Not the 19 possibilities for what you might be able to do down the road, but how the hell are you getting from point A to point B? Now, you've seen a lot of applicants and a lot of people applying for these things. What do you think some of the overlooked or mistake-driven things are? when people are trying to get into these programs? Yeah, we usually, you know, there's, um, for me, there's kind of three basics that you need to focus on. Think of this as an interview. It's just like a job interview. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get from stage to stage. So your resume should focus on three basic elements when you're applying. And I, and I you can't emphasize enough that all of these programs evaluate the team first, right? And to your point about the jockey, so is your team, do they have the technical skills? You know, do they, have they proved that they're effective uh, working as a team? Do they have relationships in the industry or do they have some background in the field that you're in? So focus on the team. The idea, is it different? Is it an outlier? Is it scalable? Right. And they, that's where they look at you as a VC would look at you. And so, you know, team idea and then traction. How do you demonstrate that you have traction? But I think the secret sauce to this whole process, and you kind of touched on it with your, you know, don't let your little landing page be a Facebook page. The thing, the hook that I've seen more companies get through to the next stage of interviews is the video. You oftentimes have to submit a video and I'll see companies that will focus on a product video, like some kind of promotional video. No, what these folks want to see is like a 60 second, you know, two minute video where you're authentic. It's the founders. They show, you show some kind of, you know, how do they work together? Some of them have been more lighthearted. You talk about the company, you talk about the product, but it's focused on the people who are in the company, the people who are running it. That's to me the secret sauce that I've seen get people to the next round more than anything else. And so we talk about, we use this jockey and horse comparison because, you know, whoever's riding the winning pony 
does have something to do. There's actually a strategy behind it, which I'm not going to try to get into because I don't know a damn thing about horse racing, but the jockey and horse analogy. So winners have a history of winning. I mean, they just do. Like, I mean, most of the people we know that are older entrepreneurs have usually won more than once. And we say a lot internally at full scale, we'll, we'll use the phrase, we'll say, well, maybe this person hasn't seen winning yet. Because once you see winning, you know what it's like. And I got to tell you what, having done, having had several laps around the track, oh man, if I wanted to start something new, there'd be so many mistakes that I would avoid. Because I look back at a lifetime of making mistakes and you get it right. And other things too, is like, why are you well aligned for your incubation idea? Like if you have worked in and around an industry for 15 years and you've clearly spotted a problem worth solving, you may not only you, you will understand it at the user level, but you probably also have a lot of built-in industry experience, connections and stuff like that. And these are the things that are the, the core elements of successful entrepreneurship and startups. And as you mentioned, you know, so Kevin, 15 years ago, I didn't have business partners and now I am a complete 180. Like I wouldn't do it without a co-founder and you got to find a co-founder that's good at the shit you're not good at. And Matt, the other Matt, Matt Watson and I, I think are a great combo because I'm a non-technical founder. He's a technical founder. We look at things different, but still about 80% of the same. But the the little bits and pieces of things that I'm elite at compared to the stuff he is, they're way different, but they make a really good team. And that's and why do why does that make more sense for an investor? Well, if you have more people that are trying hard to be successful you might be more successful. You de-risk the whole thing, right? When you've got a good team, you, you, as, a, as you're thinking about selecting companies for an accelerator program or investing as a, a VC, as an investor, you're trying to find ways that your investment can be successful and that you de-risk it. And when you find a successful team, it's exactly like you just stated. One, you have balance, right? Typically when you have a team, you have some element of, you know, and I would say it's less about, can you show a can you demonstrate constant success than is? Can you demonstrate that you learn from past mistakes or past opportunities? And teams tend to do that better, right? Because they bounce ideas off of each other. There's that balance and that ability to accept feedback. When you're, when you're in a team dynamic and a true co-founder dynamic, there's a little give and take, right? You, you got to be open to feedback. Uh, and the person who's going to deliver that most direct is going to be your co-founder, your co-pilot, right? They're going to look you in the eye and, and say, and sometimes they just cool. say, Hey, Hey, get your, get your shit together. Let's right. get this done. And th so th that's helpful. And yeah, I mean, it is. And uh, I, there's this other thing called, I call it the bus rule. Uh, what happens if this person gets hit by a bus? So there's a thing in the world called key man insurance yeah. for this reason. Like, and, and, and if you need key man insurance at your business, it might not be set up that well. Cause that means so much of it, so much of your business is set on one person. And I went through this because at the ticket business that I used to own, we went, we bought a building for our office and they made me get key man insurance on myself for the building. Cause they were like, if you get hit by a bus, who's going to make this payment? And they made me insure myself. And I was like, wow. And you know what, looking back at it, that business would have really struggled without me. Now my current business uh, may have at one point 
but has largely become very self-sufficient. I like to say, if, you, if you're onto a good idea as an entrepreneur, you're building something that is bigger than you. And that means that eventually it will get big enough to the size that if you are subjected to the bus rule, it can live on in perpetuity. It doesn't mean that it'll be at its most elite moment, but it has survivability. And re remember, survivability. So what we heard over the last year from so many people was the key throughout the pandemic was to survive in advance. Right. It's true. Same yeah. thing with incubation. Another thing too, when you're applying, you don't win. You don't win. You don't get in on that first uh, on that first look. You know that's why the keep it short, keep it sweet. The one pager, the video, get right down to the point. Don't submit a product video. Like let Pete, Kevin's spot on. Who are you? You know, because I've seen great ideas that nothing ever occurs to him because they just didn't have the right people behind them and. Um, here in 2021, you know, like, hey, look, a lot of the good, easy lay down ideas, those happened a long time ago. So you got to come up with something unique. You got to come up with something. I don't know. You got a lot of work to do. It's getting tougher and tougher out there and more people are competing for that. Another thing, too, is on the tail end of a pandemic, more you're, you'll find more entrepreneurs, not less. Because necessity often often cr creates this kind of innovation and the courage for people to go ahead and, hey, I just lost my job. Maybe I will try that to start that business or yeah. something. So there's, you know. You know, you referenced our age earlier. I appreciate that. Um, our experience, our experience. I will say never in our lifetimes have we seen a short period of time like this where so many systems and problems have been exposed for entrepreneurs to recognize and have an opportunity to make change. So I, I for sure think we'll hopefully see if the resources are there and the support is there. And that's why organizations like Right to Start are extremely important and, and promoting you know, entrepreneurship as a solution to the you know, recovery here, but we'll, we'll definitely see that. I, I do want to, you know, you had mentioned the, the idea of, um, you know, uh, prioritizing, you know, kind of uh, you, you, what you're looking at when you come into these programs and, and you know, how you're doing this, the team is extremely important. Um, and, and the reason why that you focus on yourself, you focus on your team when you're doing this video or when you're doing this application Early on, when we st first started running accelerators, we made a couple mistakes in selection. We selected companies based on the product, based on that's an unbelievable product, that's an unbelievable company or an idea. And we didn't focus on the founder or the team. And what we learned was, you know, if you think about it from the other side, like who you are running the program versus coming in and applying for it, you want teams that are really agile, willing to adapt, willing to take the feedback and the advice they get during the program and learn from it. The last thing you want is someone who believes so wholeheartedly that they're perfect when they come into the program, that all the mentors and all the advisors and everybody's beating their head against the wall, trying to convince them that if you just made these one or two changes, you could really light the market on fire and have a founder that just is unwilling to accept the feedback or accept the advice, do those types of things. So that's why being authentic and, and making sure they understand who you are as a founder really increases your, your likelihood of getting into one of these programs and being successful in the long term.
Yeah, I want to build on that and talk about why your past failure isn't a uh, isn't a deterrent for you getting into stuff. But once again, with me today, I've got Kevin McGinnis, who's the CEO of the Keystone Community Corporation and the president of Keystone Labs. Go to keystonedistrict.org and see what we're doing in our hometown. Really, really neat stuff, building innovation districts. I love anything that gets entrepreneurship going. Speaking of keeping and, and pushing entrepreneurship forward, once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle has been brought to you by the Economic Development Corporation, of KCMO. That stands for Kansas City, Missouri, for those of you that aren't out there. And by the way, I'm going to get this out of the way because if most people, so many people don't know this. Most of Kansas City is in Missouri. So it's so true. So true. I run into people all the time. They're like, wait, it's not in Kansas. No, it's not. Now, if you're in the KC boundaries, you can find out who your business development officer is at edckc.com. We encourage you to connect with these folks out there making a big difference in our business community. While you're on the internet, come find Startup Hustle TV, get some advice from founders that are out there doing it. And make sure you tune in on Tuesdays and Thursdays where you can learn all about e-commerce and Amazon from Andrew Morgans and join Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her KC every Thursday to learn lots of great stuff. And one more people go to launchkc.org. They have some really cool accelerators and programs. Those are not limited to companies that are just in Kansas City. In fact, most of the companies that have been in it in the last several versions have not been from Kansas City, which some people get shitty about, and I don't care. We want to pick the best companies, and they come and bring business to our hometown. Once again, a reason why you should start, you should support your local accelerator. Find a way to do it. We did it at full scale. We gave $10,000 of development credit to every single company that got into that. And man, I'll tell you what, we probably get, I know we've given away a six figure amount of services. So a couple of those people stuck around as clients and some of them used the program for what it was and got things moving and we're fine with that either way. So Kevin, I don't like, I don't like investing in founders that have never failed. And it, part of that is because like you talked about some of the things that, that aren't good personality traits or just general approach to an incubator and accelerator. But I think until you failed as an entrepreneur, you can feel bulletproof. And I don't want to be the one whose money you learn that that doesn't exist with. Like you aren't bulletproof. We're all going to fail at some point. It happens. Um, and until you fail and get humbled, huh, You've still got something to learn, folks. And I and I and the amazing amount of of gratitude and uh, understanding that people that run incubators and accelerators have for your past failures is real, is it not? We hosted a dinner in Silicon Valley one time. We used to work, as I mentioned in my in my former life, had the opportunity to work with a lot of the VCs in Silicon Valley to try to source from their portfolio companies the innovation we worked on in the company. And so one time we hosted a dinner where we had, you know, a lot of these VCs, they're all sitting around a table talking about, you know, their investment philosophies and, you know, just kind of shooting the shit. And it was funny because the one thing that came up and the one thing that surprised me about the conversation was most of their unwillingness to invest in serial entrepreneurs, second companies. And you, you, you know, you're like, well, what's like, why? And they, they always talked about the number, like we won't invest in the second company. We'll do the third, but we won't do the second. It was like, why is that? And they said, well, what we see happening is they exit the first time and they're overconfident 
we're not going to invest in their second time because they're going to screw it up. And then they're going to learn something and we'll invest in their third company. And I just think that speaks to what you're talking about, which is, um, you know, first time founders sometimes are just too naive and they have the ability to be influenced. So they are good with feedback. They're good with growing their company because they know they don't know. But you get somebody that's been successful in their first company and they feel like they're bulletproof to your point. And so you do want somebody that's made mistakes. You do, you do want somebody that has a learning mentality that's willing to, instead of viewing it as failure, view it as an opportunity to learn what they did wrong, improve on it and, and do it the next time. So sometimes those scars are actually you know, badges of, of certification when you're an investor, or when you're selecting somebody to be in one of these programs. And sometimes that's proving that you, uh, you can get up off the mat resiliency, you know, like, I mean, when you look at like, you know, we always, we, we like to quote Mike Tyson when we say everyone had a plan until they got punched in the face. Some people get punched in the face and they're down for the count and they just don't get up. And, you know, and that's the thing is that's kind of hard to tell, like until you've seen someone take a punch and fall down and get up, you can't necessarily say that they will. That's also why co-founded teams work better because you don't have one primary driver that could quit. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but don't let a past failure or something you haven't done well stop you from telling people about it, explaining what you learned about it and explaining why you're going to do things differently. I think if you come in with that approach, you are representing that you are a, a sophisticated entrepreneur at this point and you're ready to learn and do things different and and you know what you're so right about the second company thing i see that a lot because i know a lot of you so do you a lot of people that have found an exit and you're like oh well shit i'll just rev it up and do it again and next thing you know they're like oh wow this is not great and yeah. <laughs> you know like and another thing too is there's usually not a level of hunger there um, especially if it was a good exit. So, I, and you say, why? Maybe they're really doing well. I, I don't know. I think like five, $10 million in your bank account can change the way you think about getting up and going to work every day. Um, and, you know, sometimes that, that changes things and sometimes it can be better. Sometimes it can be worse, but yeah, I mean, you, you got a lot of different things to, to say. Now let's, let's, as we close this episode out, if you are an entrepreneur that's had, experience in the past you really want to stand on a on a soapbox and shout that out in my opinion yeah no i think you absolutely should you should have the opportunity you know talk, talk about the successes talk about what you've done you know whether it's a job and you know I, when i'm mentoring college students that are coming out and they're looking for a job or anybody who's kind of going through the process of finding a mentor i tell them the same thing that i would tell a startup founder you should be um you know it's your job to self-promote it's your job to talk about your accomplishments you know, very rarely will someone else stand on the mountain and scream your accolades. So it's your job to be able to do that. At the same time, you should be willing to embrace and talk about your failures. And, and you should be able to, to put those in the, you know, the form of an opportunity and a learning experience and, and what you would do differently, right? That situational, this is what happened. Here's what I learned. Here's what I would do differently. Um, but if you're not willing to self-promote, if you're not willing to talk about what your accomplishments are, you can't count on other people to do it for you. So, yeah, I would certainly encourage people to do, you know, have that balance uh, as you're promoting yourself, as you're applying for a program, as you're applying for a job. Be willing to, to ride both sides of that. As my friend and mentor and, and peer and yours as well, Sandy Kemper likes to say, sell me on your big idea. 
Yeah. <laughs> don't come in and be like, oh, well, we could maybe do this. Like, no, this is it. This is why this is big. And it's that confidence. And I mean, it goes a long way. And and have energy, people. Have have some freaking energy. You know what? I, I can, because I have a lot of energy and I'm a great salesperson, I could probably make most people really excited about a bad idea because energy is contagious and it flows throughout an organization it, and it goes from the top down. And if that's a quality that you have, wrap your arms around it because it is tough to, you can't train people to have energy. You have it or you don't. So if you're one of those people that has it, I think that's a huge selling point. All right, Kevin. So once again, thanks for joining me. And for those of you listening, make sure you go to keystonedistrict.org. There's a link in the show notes. Really cool stuff. There's probably something similar or maybe on the way in your hometown. There's probably an accelerator, an incubator in and around your hometown. And I know for certain there's a hell of a lot of them all over the world that you can apply to even if they're not in your hometown. With that, Kevin, what's the best advice here at the end of this episode? Thanks again for joining me. What's the best advice that we can give hopeful entrepreneurs about startup incubators in general? Like what's your big takeaway from today's episode? And did we leave anything out? Uh, no, I don't think so, Matt. I mean, I, I would tell all of them, connect, connect into the networks. You know, um, don't hold your idea so near and dear that you feel like you can't share it with anybody because it's just an idea until you've exposed it in a network, you've gotten feedback on it, and you've found people that can help you succeed. So the one piece of advice I would give any entrepreneur is connect into the networks, share what you're working on, share your ideas, because um, otherwise they're just they're just ideas until you've executed against them. And you really need a network to support you to do that. Yeah, I think for, for the best advice I can give is keep your presentation short and precise. Sell the benefits, not the features. Big advocate of that. Like, what are the benefits of using your product or service? And if you want to get into incubators and accelerators, you should apply, apply for about a zillion of them. Because I, you know, I, I run into people all the time and say, well, I tried to find, get funding, but I couldn't get it. Cool. How many places do you reach out to? like 10 bro okay you're like 90 short of what most people tell me before they tell me they got one um so you know apply to a whole bunch of them and what's the worst thing that's going to happen you're going to get offered or accepted to be in a whole bunch of them you know yeah, i mean don't just pick one don't just pick one and let that be the be all and end all of whether or not you got into an incubator or accelerator this is a volume game people so uh, yeah, your point about energy, Matt, is spot on. People want to see big ideas. They want to be around people who are trying to solve big problems. Focus on your team. Focus on having a big idea that's differentiated and scalable, and you know, you'll know you do well. Kevin, thanks again for joining me. Don't, don't take 400 episodes to come back again, all right? I won't, man. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate all you're doing. See you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>